Welcome to the Climate Pelicans Brief, a podcast bridging the gap between climate science and Louisiana frontline communities. I'm Corinne Salter. And I'm Jill Tapitza. Join us as we disentangle environmental justice issues facing Louisiana using peer-reviewed science as well as the voices and lived experiences of community leaders. Our goals are to uplift activist platforms and raise awareness about the many environmental puzzles in Louisiana. While contextualizing everything through the lens of climate crisis mitigation. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Climate Pelicans Brief. Today, as promised, we bring you an episode that covers strategies around industrial decarbonization of Louisiana's energy sector. We are doing a deep dive into the Louisiana Climate Action Plan's proposal on this subject, which has been described as, quote, aggressive and never been done before at this scale. If we want to reach net zero emissions by 2050, according to the plan, and realistically, we hope for much sooner than that, Louisiana needs to decarbonize its industrial sector. Today, our goal is to help you understand what's in the plan, what it entails, and what it means for your community. So buckle up, because we have a lot of climate-curious fun for y'all today. This episode is meant to piggyback on our previous episode on electrification, where we discussed the Louisiana Climate Action Plan's proposal to reduce Louisiana's huge greenhouse gas emissions by converting certain energy use sectors to renewable energy by plugging into a resilient electrical grid. And if you'd like a refresher on why this is important and how it's done, you can go back and listen to our fifth episode entitled Electrification. If you remember from that episode, if you did listen to it, the industrial sector counts for 66% of our state's greenhouse gas emissions, so over half. So if we want to reach net zero, we have to address the emissions of this sector in the state. And we can do everything right as individuals and communities in terms of like getting our cars and households under control in terms of electrifying and transitioning to renewable energy. But if we don't get emissions from this energy sector under control, we are not real or this industrial sector under control. We are not going to realistically hit that goal of net zero. Yeah, exactly. Because the in- the industrial sector, unfortunately, does take up, like Jill said, 60% of our state's GHG greenhouse gas emissions. So if we want to be able to get our total down, then we have to somehow figure out through industrial decarbonization how to get um, their emissions down. Mm-hmm. So that might sound scary because it's never really been done before. Um, so our state accounts for about one-sixth of the nation's energy production, which means that Louisiana needs to roll out an industrial decarbonization in a new way that sets an example for the rest of the United States. So as per usual in this episode, we are going to cover our options as a state, the plan as it is, and most importantly, importantly, whether or not it's likely to work. So as a starting point, can we get an overarching summary about how Louisiana plans to accomplish this? Yeah, so the state's climate action plan spells out three interconnected policy pillars that are meant to lead us to success in achieving net zero by 2050. There are one, renewable electricity generation we already talked about this in our electrification episode so go and listen to that again if you have it um and then two industrial electrification and then three industrial fuel switching to low and no carbon hydrogen 
Today, we're going to cover those last two pillars, the industrial electrification and the industrial fuel switching, electrifying what parts of industry we can, and then switching from fossil fuels um, to another energy source for the parts that we can't realistically electrify. So first up, what is up with the amount of industry that we have in Louisiana? Like what's even going on here that makes industrial emissions so high? So glad you asked. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Good starting point. The Gulf Coast, but Louisiana in particular, is a low-cost area for chemical production. We have a total of 15 oil and gas refineries which use and produce fossil fuels, as well as petrochemical plants which produce plastics, chemicals, and fertilizers. Most of these facilities are set up along what's referred to as the Mississippi River Industrial Corridor, which runs the 84-mile stretch between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. This is also referred to as the uh, Cancer Alley. Cancer Alley, yeah. Um, yeah. Not coincidentally. Not coincidentally. 100% correlated. Exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, this is an attractive area for this type of industry for several reasons. First and foremost, industry of this nature has historically received large tax exemptions from state and local governments. Um, secondly, it's very close to a few ports, which refu- reduces the cost for exporting and distributing the products of the industry. Thirdly, it is somewhat sparsely populated and home to many environmental justice communities that historically do not have the financial or social capital to push back against a wealthy and lucrative industry, which leads us to our fourth reason, which is that air pollution regulations are pretty lax in this area, Mm -hmm. so industry doesn't have to sink much cost into protecting these communities from the toxic waste it emits. Um, And these emissions are high not only in CO2, which is what we're most interested in regulating from a climate change perspective, but also PM10, which is particulate matter 10, um, PM2.5, which is just a smaller particulate matter, Mm -hmm. carbon monoxide, nitrogen oxides, uh, sulfur dioxide, and ground-level ozone, which all have led to a host of human health issues, including chronic lower respiratory disease, which is the fourth highest cause of death in Louisiana. Yeah, and so obviously, like you can hear, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and obviously, you know, we mentioned the environmental justice communities that are impacted by this super wealthy industry that, you know, they really just don't have the financial, social capital or clout really to like fight back against we can talk about all that all we can day talk about and that we all do. day and night and we do and we will but you know today we are going to just uh focus on carbon emissions uh the inputs to this industry are chemical feedstocks of oil and gas which are burned to output different types of gas chemicals plastics fertilizers and a few other various other products um, and its process it's this process at an enormous scale that leads to industry accounting for 66 percent of the state's greenhouse gas emissions i mean you can imagine with everything that jill mentioned you know like the lax regulations against it um you know the inability of the communities to fight back um the tax exemptions all these things and like you know just the geographical location of um you know louisiana and our ports um you can imagine why this is so rampant why why we account for so much of the energy production but then also us um having such a such a big part of the 
of our greenhouse gas emissions being industrial. You can see why that's the case. Yeah, it's a big percentage for the state. Yeah. Because we're so sparsely populated, the people mm-hmm. there don't really count for quite as much as they do in other exactly, places. Yeah. But we're also here, we're trying to regulate something that does impact the whole nation. Exactly. Um, because a lot of the products that are used in other places are produced in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and I'd imagine that some of these chemical processes are rather complex and can't just be completed by simply transitioning to electricity, right? Like if you're making plastic, you can't just start with sunlight. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so we basically need a different approach here. So we're going to jump into the Climate Action Plan and see what it has to say. So it outlines a few strategies that are hinged on policy action that we can use to decarbonize the industry. There are four that fall under this category of industrial decarbonization. So yeah, we'll jump in. So first... We have to monitor, inventory, certify, and support industrial decarbonization. So that would require carbon audits and emissions reporting from all the industrial facilities in Louisiana. Industry or industry would have to report to the Department of Environmental Quality, the DEQ, and or the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. The DEQ is a state agency and the EPA mm-hmm. is federal. Um, just FYI. Um, this also involves using life cycle assessments or LCAs, which assess the environmental impacts of a product's life. So for say a plastic disposable water bottle, an LCA would look like the environmental impacts of that bottle from its feedstock as an oil product, its formation through a petrochemical process into a water bottle, its transport and distribution to another state or country where it's consumed, and then its eventual disposal into a landfill, including its potential to be recycled maybe a couple of times before it ultimately does end up in a landfill. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea here would be to assess all of the products that are made in Louisiana and report that to a state or federal agency so that it can be better managed, plus reporting all direct emissions from facilities where these products are being made. That's step one. Yeah, I mean, I really like the idea of that, you know, holding these companies, holding these production companies accountable to the entire life cycle of the the products that they're producing. I mean, like, because if you really do think about it, there are emissions at every single point of a production of anything really and for louisiana to deal with this at such a like a heightened level with like jill said 66 percent of our state's emissions coming from industry i think that it's perfectly reasonable to want to regulate and have assessments that really do look into where where all these emissions are coming from and what the height of the emissions what the what the uh, level of emissions that they are so i think that it's a really suitable starting point and you know we can never go wrong if step one is just to collect data absolutely the inventory and monitoring like we love that as scientists the more data you have the more accountability you have exactly yeah right now we just don't have any transparency yeah and i mean even things like the toxic release inventory you know like industry never really had to report what their toxic emissions look like before that but then the community basically like worked together kind of like what we're doing here you know like highlighting um these issues so that hopefully as like a community we can work together and actually put in place these regulations and these collections of data um so that it's like I mean, it's our right to know like what emissions they're putting out and what we can do to respond to that. So step one, collecting the data. I love it. Yeah, it's like 
we we got to do it and i feel like that's one of the more i'll highlight that as one of the more like forward thinking parts of this plan the lcas are like a theme continue that continue through the whole thing so we like that. that so far so good the next step is to develop an industry certification program for greenhouse gas emission reduction activities and that is exactly what it sounds like the idea is that once we have data for emissions, we can incentivize industry to cooperate. And this has been done pretty successfully in a few other states like California and Texas. And we're also going at the same time to advocate for a national carbon price and identify a pricing mechanism that suits Louisiana for the like basically what the price of CO2 is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are going to leave that pr- discussion in particular Um about this um, for one of our upcoming episodes about the carbon market, but you can just think of it at this point now as a step to providing accountability for facilities to reduce their emissions. It's not always effective because it allows for continued emissions. Basically putting a price on carbon Mm -hmm. says that it's okay to emit, you just have to pay for it. Um, But it, it is a step in the plan. Think like cap and trade, that's, that's what we're, but we're not gonna get into that right now. Yeah, it's just part of the plan. Yeah, so there are also a couple of other steps, too, that we're going to skip over here for now, but they all fall under the guise of creating an economic and regulatory framework so that we can have enough monitoring capacity to regulate industry. Let's move on to our next major strategy, improving efficiencies in and modernization of industrial processes and facilities. So this is kind of a quick one. This is basically just about reducing the energy intensity of industry and improving efficiency using new and improved technologies. And this will be done through direct regulation of industry rather than market forces. There's nothing super specific in this part about uh, in the plan, but it does seem to it does seem to be kind of open ended. So it might be a good place to bring in an expert to interview about this. You're totally right about that. And because we love to present the most up-to-date information straight from the source, um, we will try to get somebody who has a little bit more specific knowledge about this um, to speak on that in the future. But I will just jump in here and say that while improved efficiency, improved energy efficiency is a good thing, it's not really supporting the greater theme that we need, which is the drastic phase out of fossil fuels. It's more about making our existing system better rather Mm -hmm. than changing it from the ground up. And I'll highlight this as just an opinion of mine, but I can't help but put it out there as we're discussing it. Yeah. Efficiency is good, but like I feel like we often get hung up on it a lot and sink a lot of cost into exactly. it instead of like trying to actually change how things are done. Right, because like I mean the whole reason that I, it just seems like more like a band-aid plan for it rather than an actual like, you know, fixing of like what you said like from the ground up like actually fixing what's wrong with it. Um it's more just like, oh, make it more efficient so that it's not emitting as much or you know it's actually more efficient but it's like we're still using an inherently like extractive and harmful you know industrial industrial system that ultimately still leads to climate change so it's like right yeah like as a step in the plan i totally agree with yeah for sure but this cannot be our only it can't be our only response at all and it's not (laughs) thank god (laughs) okay so we continue (laughs) so we'll get to the good stuff now after we've highlighted efficiency so it's necessary to have a framework in place so that we can track and regulate industry but how are we proposing to actually get to net zero with all these industrial processes um because it's still feeling like we need some kind of fairy godmother to accomplish this goal um and again we can't make plastic out of solar power itself so 
Yeah, let's jump into this next strategy, which is the bulk of the plan here. The strategy is to accelerate industrial electrification and switch to low or no carbon fuels and feedstocks. And a few things we should keep in mind here is that there's very little precedent for this part of the plan at the scale we need. Plus, Louisiana needs to maintain and hopefully improve upon its position as a global energy leader. Also, job creation and the just transition of fossil fuel workers to this type of industrial production is also a priority for the state. So with all of of that in mind, let's talk about what the plan is for that. We're basically, we're forging new ground here. So it's never been done before. Yeah. The world is our oyster, essentially. So the first part of this is to electrify what can be electrified. So the plan is to invest in mechanisms that accelerate electrification of industry. And again, this is to be done through direct regulation rather than allowing just market forces to do it. Um, So the plan is the state is planning to invest in things like pilot projects and other incentives for industry to jump onto electrification. And this makes sense because as a large problem that has yet to be solved, we need some research and development to make electrification possible in industry at all. Um, So, for example, high heat processes above 350 degrees Celsius are necessary for the generation of certain industrial products. But because of that high heat requirement, electrification would be difficult. This part of the plan is largely research and development. And while I'm good with that, you know we're scientists. Right, of course. We, We love to invest in discovery and new technology, especially if it's going to help us achieve our climate goals. I've got one big red flag I'd like to point out here. And that's that anytime I read the plan, and it says something like, quote, incentives for industry, mm-hmm. end quote, I get a little bit wary about funneling the taxpayers' precious resources into industries that already receive millions in tax exemptions every single year. Yeah. It's like, how many carrots do we need here? Yeah, it's like... Before how... we get the stick. Right, exactly. Like, But not even like... It's like we're stealing carrots from like people who need to eat to right. get the stick. You right. know what I mean? Versus like this industry that's caused the problem. Exactly. Why yeah. don't y'all pony up a little bit of your own investments to be yeah. researching into this? Like, we're not saying you have to solve the world's problems overnight, but like, we're not going to give you money to. Right. Like, and I'm it's sorry. not like we're asking them, like you said, it's not like we're asking them to solve the world's problems overnight, but they are a huge part of the problem. Like, they are the problem. So, like, why are we in. <laughs> I'm the problem (laughs) industry every day, literally. (laughs) We know you are. So thanks, Taylor. Yeah. (laughs) She just always has like a song for every 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 occasion. Every occasion. I didn't realize she was speaking to industrial decarbonization, (laughs) but that song has so many layers. Yeah, what an icon. (laughs) But yeah, you know, like while I do completely agree with you there, just to play devil's advocate here, historically, environmental policy incentives tend to work better than penalties, unfortunately. So since about 1970, when the first environmental legislation came onto the political scene and industry was regulated to manage air pollution, the most effective strategies involved the carrot rather than the stick. Yeah, that's just that's just pure research right there. Yeah. Um, So we're not saying that we have a direct issue with incentivizing industry yet. Mm -hmm. There's some pros, there's some cons. We're just we're just setting up an academic framework for you guys to think about this. We should just keep in mind moving forward that industry does not share the same priorities about climate change as the people and the government. The industry 
um, is all about the bottom line and making a profit at the end of the day. So we should keep that motivation in mind as we make decisions. But also they are an incredibly wealthy and powerful force in this nation and things go a lot easier if everyone in industry or for everybody if industry is willing to cooperate. Yeah. And so like that's the thing, too, is that even thinking about moving to like a greener future, a greener economy, we have to think about the fact that even though like obviously, you know, fossil fuels are really lucrative at the same time, they are inherently extractive and obviously like depleting. So even though I don't like looking at environmental issues from like purely an economic perspective, at the same time, whenever you are working with businesses and, you know, such a large industry that is so focused on the bottom line, unfortunately, you do have to talk about the business economics that go behind, you know, these decisions that we're trying to advocate for. So yeah, that's why I'm kind of interested in like environmental things in Louisiana, because you do have to work with so many different interested parties and it's more difficult than you know working somewhere in like california where you can you can progress yeah quickly here you have to you have to work with everybody at the table you do and like that's even even if you really don't agree even if you don't agree with them whatsoever and obviously like i would love to imagine um a society outside of capitalism but you know we can dream (laughs) we can dream but you know for purposes of this practical conversation today you know obviously not really necessarily going in that direction so Mm -hmm. Anyways, as you can see, it's such a delicate balance. So just food for thought there. Um, But let's get into fuel and feedstock switching. So just to clarify, a feedstock is a raw material used to supply a manufacturing process. Historically, feedstocks are petroleum, fossil gas, or natural gas as it's falsely called, and some other fossil fuel derivatives. And the goal is to transition to low or no carbon feedstocks. All right, I'm on the edge of my seat for this. <laughs> well, you're not going to like this. <laughs> the plan for low carbon feedstocks is to use captured CO2, carbon dioxide, directly instead of using a traditional feedstock like fossil gas or petroleum. Expletive, expletive, expletive. Right. <laughs> Or the other alternative, which is referred to as low carbon hydrogen, is created through using captured carbon dioxide to split methane and using the hydrogen as a feedstock to generate heat for industrial processes. And the justification for this, again, once inv- once again, involves... Um, those high temperatures needed to support certain manufacturing processes. Um, So you simply can't achieve those temperatures with solar or wind power. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, And this is sounding familiar. Either way, the state's plan is to use carbon capture Mm -hmm. to either capture CO2 and use it as a feedstock directly or use low or no carbon hydrogen as a feedstock. So like using CO2 to create the hydrogen and use the hydrogen to create those like high temperatures um, that are needed for those manufacturing processes. Uh, Low carbon hydrogen... By the way, low carbon hydrogen is essentially the same thing as blue hydrogen that we've mm-hmm. talked about before. And no carbon hydrogen is essentially the same thing as green hydrogen in yeah. a lot of contexts. Um, so there's just a lot of confusing language. Um, and as you'll recall, we have addressed carbon capture technologies in a previous episode and a major grievance with this type of technology is that it's not developed enough to work at the scale necessary yet. And it poses hazards for fence line communities. 
Um, and if you want a refresher on CCS, you can go back and listen to our fourth episode, Carbon Capture, The Good, The Bad, and The Potential for Explosions. And if you want a refresher on the different types of hydrogen that uh, are planned to be used in this state, you can go back to listen to our episode called There's Real Money in False Solutions, where we cover blue and green hydrogen in some detail. Yeah, and I I really personally love those episodes because it really does. Yeah, it really does like make it so much more comprehensible because blue hydrogen, I mean, it sounds sounds fun fun. yeah super fun sounds cool actually like and green hydrogen too i mean like we said in the episode two like green hydrogen it sounds green literally sounds like sap coming out of a tree yeah it sounds so natural i mean it could be it could could be good it could you know we just we just we highlight kind of how if we don't make steps in the right direction towards like a renewable future that it's just going to replicate the same exact extractive forces that we have here that got us in the in this mess in the first place 100 percent. yeah so anyways give those a refresher um but yeah the takeaway here is that our feedstock is linked to the rollout of carbon capture technology to produce carbon dioxide or hydrogen so there is the possibility to invest in green hydrogen which uses renewable energy to power the electrolysis process um, and create hydrogen fuel as a feedstock and that is promising Um, but it reads in the plan like an afterthought so even if we achieve um, even if we achieve effective carbon capture to support industrial manufacturing we're still linked on fossil fuels so the goal of producing 100% no or low carbon feedstocks hydrogen really needs really reads as lowering our fossil fuel reliance rather than phasing it out. Because we know that funding for CCS is going directly into so-called hydrogen hubs, which are, big big surprise here, owned by fossil fuel giants such as ExxonMobil. Yeah, and once again, if you follow the money, you'll find out like who you're really dealing with here. And it's also worth noting that this part of the plan has some dissent from members of the task force. So this climate action plan, uh, I think we've mentioned this before, is created by a task force appointed by the governor. And there are plenty of different interested parties from industry, community leaders, Mm -hmm. um, experts, like it's a good task force and yeah. there's there's been some dissent from members like colette pichon battle who cite that low carbon hydrogen aka blue hydrogen is really the perpetuation of fossil fuel use so in case we needed another red flag yeah and yeah. i mean she's not wrong because as we highlighted she's never wrong. she's never wrong. <laughs> as like no she really is very well read on this and you know obviously being a part of the task force that informed this climate action plan she should know like you know about these different things that are coming down the line like these false solutions that are being paraded as a way to get to low carbon you know low carbon alternatives it's it's not as simple as it sounds so like we said, if you follow the money, you find out what you're really dealing with. So yeah, you follow the money, it leads right back to ExxonMobil yep. buying up leases in the Gulf of Mexico to mm-hmm. create hydrogen hubs to continue their use of fossil fuels. Yeah, and then parading it as industrial decarbonization. Exactly. It would be funny if it wasn't terrifying. Yeah. It- yeah (laughs) just like just how ridiculous it is like it's just so ridiculous and like it's obviously meant to like mislead louisiana community members into believing that oh hey look at this climate action plan exxon mobil places like shell they're working with this climate action plan um to roll out this technology that's going to be carbon friendly or carbon neutral but no they're not like it's just another money-making scheme basically the minute they can back that up with research that they didn't pay them 
pay for themselves i'll be all ears exactly yeah that day has not come yet it's definitely not come so unfortunately this really isn't looking good right now so louisiana bestie you're really gonna have to you're really gonna walk right into those red flags huh um and the rest of the actions that support the strategy or fuel and feedstock switching in the louisiana climate action plan are all about supporting the um, carbon capture use and sequestration technology or ccus technology research siting build out and clustering so we're not going to get into that because i think we've made our stance on ccus pretty clear <laughs> we don't like it but we're so dramatic <laughs> i mean but you know, it's Rightfully, all, yes. it's all <laughs> evidence-based, you <Absolutely>. know? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so we're really not going to get into that, but um, it's that it's expensive, has low project success, and perpetuates both the existing fossil fuel economy as well as harm to communities and the environment in Louisiana. So the one saving grace that I'm seeing here is that all this monitoring and life cycle analysis that will be coming in the climate action plan. So once these data become available, we'll be able to see more clearly what kind of impact these actions are really going to have on Louisiana's greenhouse gas emissions. And hopefully that will allow us to adjust our course accordingly. So fingers crossed on that. Fingers crossed. Um, Yeah, and I'm not feeling good about this either. And the fact that 66% of our emissions reduction is hinged on this technology makes me feel like we're really headed in the wrong direction here as a state. Um, But you've got the facts now, so you can make up your own mind about what you think about this part of the climate action plan. Let's move on to the last strategy for industrial decarbonization in Louisiana, and that's to promote reduced carbon materials. (laughs) Okay. There's some drilling outside. Yeah, and I'm I'm sorry. I'm just going to say. Story time. Yes. (laughs) Story time. So typically we film these episodes over at Jill's house, and, you know, sometimes you'll you'll hear Stella in the background, which is always like, you know, welcomed interjection <laughs> right yeah she has she has contributions yeah but this time to, on this episode you might be hearing some drilling in the background or you might hear my cat simon because um we're actually recording it at my place because um i broke my fibula i was like you, you're gonna tell him why we're recording <laughs> i broke my fibula doing what you know what you do best great <laughs> all great uh researchers do and that's play roller derby yes <laughs> yes queen <laughs> so you know i was doing roller derby um playing defense to offense we were practicing for our upcoming assessments um for roller derby and um i was actually there this past tuesday and i was the jammer which is you know the person that goes around and tries to score points and tries to get around the formations of people trying to stop you from essentially scoring and um i got knocked on my butt (laughs) really hard i got knocked on my butt and then i went to go get up and um, unfortunately, I guess my form wasn't that great, and my ankle just like folded into itself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here I am with a big boot on my foot. <laughs> you know, you can we do jam- a meow. <laughs> we, meow. <laughs> we jammed a little too hard. <laughs> we did, as as you know, as I do. Right. So um, what I'm looking at here is the Corey, like <laughs> lounging on the couch with a big old boot on their foot. <laughs> But you know, we we still work. We still we move. We're still regardless. getting it done. Yeah, that's right. We we make money moves, and we continue. 
<laughs> and we continue making them even with a boot on. So, amen. <laughs> so you know, we're here regardless. So you're gonna hear some interesting noises in the background, and we're just gonna roll through it. Cats drills, yeah. Um, reduce carbon materials. Exactly. Right. I love it. <laughs> okay. So anyway. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our little side, our little sidetrack conversation. But um, they needed to know. People are invested. I, I think they do. <laughs> it's what makes the episodes fun and hopefully relatable to a lot of people too. Um, but yeah, getting back to what we were talking about um, to promote reduced carbon materials. So this one's all about the life cycle of our carbon fuels and materials used in construction. So there are two main actions here. The first is developing a buy clean Louisiana policy to procure materials with low carbon footprints for use in public construction projects. This type of policy is used to shift the market incentivizing the sourcing of materials like steel and concrete that are manufactured using low carbon processes. Okay, so one big hole I want to point out here, because that's my job today. (laughs) Um, We just covered that our own manufacturing is going to be feedstock switch to low carbon hydrogen, i.e. blue hydrogen created using carbon capture and utilization technology um, and is going to be marketed as less carbon intensive even though that we know from the research that that's not really the case so although having a policy like buy clean louisiana in place is 100 percent a good thing it's worth noting that these quote low carbon materials may come with a big asterisk by um yeah that is but that yeah <laughs> But yeah, that aside, let's shift the market toward green products. Let's just be mindful that the green isn't always what it's marketed to be. Yeah. Um, So the next action associated with the strategy of promoting reduced carbon materials is exploring a circular economy. This is about minimizing waste by recycling as many materials as possible. And once we have data from the life cycle assessments, we can use it to be as low waste as possible. So a circular economy is definitely a move in the right direction because we definitely need to be less wasteful as a society because we've got, but we've got some caveats we want to bring up. And I, I love the idea of a circular circular economy like 100 just everything about it it just i mean it's just more about like being like you said more mindful about our waste and where it's going and then how we're hopefully utilizing that waste no longer as waste but maybe extending its life cycle right absolutely and i love that this is a point in the state's plan that's actually like baked into what we're thinking about it's actually very progressive so this is this is just an aside we don't disapprove of a circular economy. No, we love yeah, the love idea it. of a circular economy. Yeah. Um, but most notably, this circular economy, when applied to Louisiana's petrochemical industry, involves LCAs, or life cycle assessments, of a lot of different types of plastics, specifically. Now, we'll, we'll discuss plastics in detail at some other time, because we know it's a burning question that a lot of y'all have. But for now, let's just say that plastics in Louisiana is produ- or are produced in a huge excess, and we need to end unnecessary plastics plastic production instead of just kind of blowing it around like trying to recycle it Um, a lot of these things cannot really be recycled at all or they've they can only be recycled up to about seven times yeah even the the, like best plastic right um so that means actually scaling down petrochemical production in louisiana as a starting point that means reducing the industrial activity along the mississippi river industrial corridor or cancer alley 
Sorry, not sorry, y'all. <laughs> Circular common economy and zero waste practices are great for all kinds of materials. So this part of the action plan is a great idea, but let's just keep plastics in the back of our mind with another big asterisk by it. Yeah. So that was a lot of information for today. <laughs> Yeah. Um, industrial decarbonization is kind of hard to address without really getting into the weeds. So yeah, here's all the information for you. Yeah. So hopefully this like highlighted like the big points of what the Louisiana Climate Action um, has in mind uh, as a blueprint, which has like never been done before. And that's to decarbonize the industrial sector of a truly industry heavy state. And it's not perfect. I mean, you know, we've kind of covered those. The first draft of anything like this is not going to be perfect. Yeah. And in fact, most of it is hinged on the massive build out of carbon capture and utilization technologies, which comes under a lot of criticism from the public advocacy groups and scientists who are looking into the research behind this, which, you know not much not not (laughs) Not much promising yeah um so but however a lot of the plan sets up a good framework for an economic transition away from fossil fuels um and if we if we were to propose one major change to improve this plan it would be to scale back the petrochemical industry through reduced demand for their materials and power their remaining industrial needs through green heart green hydrogen which has the potential to be a no carbon fuel and feedstock it has a potential it has a potential if we really get into it and do that right yeah those are two good amendments and that i would add yeah i think colette petron battle would agree with us i think so (laughs) (laughs) so it's finally time for this week's cause to action if you're feeling empowered to do something small and mighty this week please consider signing a letter from the environmental defense fund to the epa to limit air pollution from fossil hydrogen aka blue gray and brown hydrogens um so consider signing that we will link it in the show notes but please sign by 12 13 23 at the latest this limit will help um or this petition will help um protect the louisiana industrial corridor and other industrial corridors around the u.s from these damaging ccus build out so get your pens ready i hope you're inspired by our episode um to go ahead and sign that because yeah. we love the edf they're yes. great And as always, thanks for joining us and enjoy your week, little pelicanlings. Pelicanlings. (laughs) Thanks.